Thank you for joining us here on Talk Money. I am Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. Well, our guest is Chris Purcell and Frank Allen. And Chris will be talking about insurance when we get to him. But, Frank, we're going to get him all involved in the in deadly sins that investor makes. And we were talking earlier about getting caught up in projections. The reality is, I mean, you hear it on the media you, you think it's, you know, or read it on the Internet, and all of a sudden, it's law. It, it and, is. And it gets it, this, yeah, this this aura of authenticity uh, just because you've read it on the Internet as if somehow that makes it true. That makes it true or something. So um, what are we going to do? Frank, I, I really appreciate you being here with us today, man. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be a part of the program. Well, it's my pleasure. You know, he's a frequent guest and does a great job. And I know, Frank, when you talk about deadly sins, I mean, that's a kind of a uh, tough title. But people well, make, it, it make bad decisions. They do, you know. And so let's talk about the first one, Frank. When you when you <clears throat> counsel with people, one of the first things you share with them is this deadly sin that starts out. And I want you to tell tell us what it is and how to avoid it. Well, following the herd is a a deadly sin, and it can be a deadly sin. But anyway, it's something you want to watch out for. And you do. Y- y'all have been talking a lot about the media here. This morning, and you know, it's it's not uncommon. Anytime the market goes down for any extended period of time, you almost always hear uh, a lot more commercials about buying gold. Mm. You know, that's one of the things that the gold hawkers come out in droves. And you know, if you follow the herd, if you know, it, there's some emotional issues there. If you begin to get concerned about your portfolio and you don't think about it from a long-term standpoint, you could end up, you know, following the herd into some investments that you had never even planned to do. But it sounded good at the time, and so you panic and you do it. And that's kind of, let's make sure everybody understands when we say following the herd. It's like, you know, you ever seen a bunch of cows moving? And Absolutely. You know, they got the bell cow, and it's everybody's following the bell cow. Or you got a group of sheep walking, and they're just kind of, you know, meandering through, following right. what everybody's going. How do you, how, let's talk, when we use this term deadly sins, maybe we should look for the redemption of those deadly <laughs> sins. How would you avoid that, Frank? What's the redemption of that deadly sin? Well, think long term. I mean, you you have a strategy, you have a portfolio. Um, it's it's after considerable thought regarding your time horizon and your risk level, and so you you stick with your strategy. You have a strategy, you stick with it. You know, a lot of times, and there's this Dalbar study out that talks about the the average rate of return, like for the S and P over the last 20 years, is a certain amount. Well, they look at the average rate of return for investors, and it's two percent less mm. than what the actual market is. So. That just means that you've got people coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out. And that's that emotional side. And the emotional part gets – so part of it is just having a discipline that you need to stay the course – uh, to and to have confidence in your strategy, and if you have an advisor, you know having conversations with an advisor, and that's a one of the key roles of an advisor is to keep you from panicking at a, at a necessarily a bad time. And following the herd, Jim, you know this is chasing the winners, following the herd, whatever you want to call it. You yeah. know a lot of people are doing that right now with U.S. large cap stocks. If you want to follow that right down the rabbit hole, you can well, uh, that, because that exactly, will work for yeah. a while. So so following the herd is getting caught up and losing focus of the strategy or the plan. Frank, you mentioned what the plan does, and I know you do this with your clients, I, we talk about this in the office, about the hand-holding effect. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's setting down and, and kind of saying, hang on, I mean, this is a rough ride, or uh, I just talked with someone yesterday, and uh, 
you know, they have lived through the experience of the rough rides. And, and, their, and their comment was, well, Jim, all I know is when the rough ride occurs, you're standing there with us. And that, that's, that's and your value. That's really what you're talking about. That's exactly right. I mean, they, they know how to get me, and they know, my clients know, that I'm not going to be under the desk when the market falls, <laughs> you're, that I do, your, yeah, yeah, I do answer my phone. Yeah, I do answer the important, phone. That's important, guys. You know, I mean, you know, I know it's people a big deal. that don't do that. Right. No, it's absolutely right. And, and again, the focus is going to be on long-term and you, if you've done a good job on the front end of assessing your time time horizon when you're going to need this money, uh, then you know if your time horizon is two years, well then you you obviously sh- shouldn't be in stocks, you know, to any significant degree. But if your time horizon is ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, you know, the reason that people invest in the stock market is because historically it's provided the best rate of return that we can possibly earn anywhere. You know, you mentioned it earlier, and you're exactly right, Frank, that it, uh, it's a good place to be. But you also mentioned a few minutes ago talking about this following the herd, the idea of emotions. So I, I know that the, the, you had mentioned to us earlier that the second deadly sin is that one that you wanted to talk about. And, and you'd mentioned it is, it is it's getting caught up in being an emotional investor. So help me with that. that what does that mean and how do you avoid it? Well, the market, you're in the market, uh, and you know on the front end that it's going to be volatile. It's going to move up and down. That's just the cyclical nature of the market. There's some stocks that are in favor from time to time, but you look at it from a standpoint of, well, what else could I be doing with this money? Mm. How, how Should I put this in cash? What is that going to do? Well, today, as everybody knows, cash is paying nothing. Now, 10 years ago, cash was paying, what, 3 or 4%? So it, it wasn't like getting nothing, but you could get something for your money. Now, um, not the case. So now it's it's difficult to look at, and and you basically you want to keep up with your purchasing power. You know, purchasing power. If you take no risk and you have inflation of two, two and a half, three percent a year, then you're actually losing money year over year in terms of purchasing well, power. Let's explain that to everybody. If you've got say a five percent return. Right, and you end up with a three percent inflation rate. Your net return is two percent. That's not hard math. That's not hard math. But people forget that. Well, uh, and it's so important when we think about you know investing and we talk about risk. And you know what we say is risk is the potential for the permanent loss of capital or the inability to earn a rate of return that outpaces inflation. Right. Now, and we say that for the exact reason that you're saying. So if inflation's at three and you earn two, then guess what? You yeah. know you've got a negative one percent real return. No, that question. is risk. That's risk. That is enormous amounts of risk. So. Frank, if emotional, if emotions are part of an investor's makeup, how do they, again, deadly sin, what's the redemption? They need to think long-term Take and Prozac. stick with their plan. <laughs> well, they, they <laughs> <You know? laughs> Prozac wouldn't hurt. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, I, I just thought about that. Is that a recommendation for <laughs> Prozac? <laughs> no, no. Well, sometimes the more you think about your portfolio, and I have a number of clients who look at their portfolio daily. It's not something I recommend. But, you know, <laughs> I would it, say do not yeah, do that. You know, it, it, it happens. But, you know, the more you look at it and, and typically tinker with your portfolio, the, the more chances you're giving yourself to make a mistake. Hmm. And so I would just say, you know, look at your portfolio from a long-term perspective and make good choices. Look at long-term track records of managers. And if you're buying individual stocks, look at long-term track record of those companies. Um, you know, and I will remind you, too, in the predictions that we talked about earlier, and you, you said, you know, somebody was predicting that we, we weren't going to make money in, in 2014, and we did. The S&P was up 13%, but again, in a well-diversified portfolio, 
very few of our clients, if any, are invested only in large cap stocks. Absolutely. It so, would be criminal for us to put people only we, in large cap yes. stocks. So we're, we're definitely not saying everybody should have earned 13% last year because international didn't do so well and oil and gas went, went through the floor. We're enjoying it at the pump and watching it just kill our portfolios. That's yeah. right. So that's but just, I think that's a great point when we talk about being emotional. So we talk an awful lot about the news and the 24-hour news cycle, and we get caught up in these stories about Europe or what's going on overseas or something with oil, and that would make us think that you know that's not a place that we would potentially want to invest. But with that long-term focus, with that focus on you know what we want to accomplish, what our goal is, uh, I think that you know that gives us the confidence uh, to go against some of these things that would be an emotional type reaction when you look at the news. So put emotional thoughts out of your mind. Uh, avoid the news media. Avoid predictions. Uh, we're kind of saying those those are two three things that you should do for the redemptive redemptiveness of that from a, from getting caught up as an emotional investor. So Frank. Number three, now, the deadly sin, you know, I mean, we, we've talked about being a, you know, an investor that really follows everybody, gets caught up in what everybody's doing, or gets emotional. What's another one that's so, so common today with investors? Well, sometimes we can um, be married to an investment, and we can hang on to it uh, perhaps too long. Okay, so sometimes it does make sense to reassess the portfolio in a particular fund or a particular stock. So when you hang on too long, um, you know, that can be uh, that can be damaging to your portfolio and for the long term returns of it. That's a great point. And so you get stuck and you get this emotion thought that, you know, I got this too many years ago. Well, and, and, you know, we have a little bit of that as well. You have these long relationships with a manager or an investment and, you know, it could last decades. And of course you have an emotional attachment Mm, to that, but you've got to look at this, you know, in a very detached way. This is all about discipline. Frank used the term disciplined. And I think that's a great term. This is having a a strategy. So Frank, what's the redemption for this one? Is that another strategy? Well, yes, you want to look at specific things on the front end and say, okay, if certain things happen, then this is where I would want to trigger a kind of a reassessment. Mm. Um, you know, in our business, we we believe in mutual funds because of the diversification, you know, that they offer. And, you know, a mutual fund manager, if there's a departure of a mutual fund manager, that might be a sign. It's certainly a sign to reassess. It not, it's not necessarily a sign to dump that particular mutual fund, but it could be a sign that you might need to go somewhere else with that. Well, you know, I think, again, let's recap. All managers, funds, and things like that have a strategy. And I think what you want to do, they go through periods of changes and stretches and differences. And so know what your strategy is, right, what you're saying to the investor. Know what it is. Work it out with an advisor. And then at that point, work that disciplined approach. Right. And over time, you know, as our clients reach certain stages of life, as they approach retirement, that strategy may be a little different. You know, Absolutely. so you look at it and you say, OK, well, guess what? Next year, I'm going to begin start, starting to take income. OK, well, that's a that's a, totally a change that you need to make in the strategy. So strategies are for stages of life. And as you move from one stage of life to another, you look at it and say, is it time to change that strategy? You know, we were talking about predictions, uh, you know, at the beginning of the program. We got Frank and Chris Purcell with us, Frank Allen. We're talking about deadly sins and we're going to get right. into that in a second. But right. we had a prediction. I mean, one that I just want to read. If you or you read it, you you. Well, I thought he was right. You well, know, yeah, was, yeah, sure. You know, go ahead and read it because I think it's great. Uh, former head of the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. Absolutely. You know, he's got a lot of credibility. I mean, a well, well respected individual. Right. This is during a panel discussion in 2007 when uh, this gentleman had said, "In today's regulatory environment, it's virtually impossible to violate the rules. It's impossible for a violation to go undetected." 
elected, certainly not for a considerable period of time. And that's in quotes. That was that was exactly what he said. That's a verbatim quote. Right. Say it again. I think everybody needs to. Sure. In today's regulatory environment, again, this was in October of 2007. uh, It's virtually impossible to violate the rules. It's impossible for a violation to go undetected. Certainly not for a considerable period of time. And this person had enough authority and presence about it that everybody would have said absolutely. Yeah, you're totally right. Who was that person? And that was Bernie Madoff. <laughs> His credibility is a little bit, a little bit suspect now. Yeah, of course, and then we found out about that basically a year later. A year in later, his Ponzi scheme. His Ponzi apart. scheme, right? Isn't that amazing? It and is yet, amazing. that's the point that we have to deal with. Is you know, I think one of the biggest things in investing today, you've got to know who you're investing with. You got to trust them. It and you've got to know the integrity that they have. And one of the things that we would do is I love being able to sit down and look someone in the eye, a manager, and you feel like you get a sense of who they are. Yeah. I guarantee if you were looking in Bernie's eyes right then, you would not have picked up on the fact no, that he was I, totally you know lying. What? A good crook's a good crook. A good crook, and they've got to yeah. be aware of that as well. When someone promises you a 10% return and won't tell you how they get it and say they guarantee it every year, that's a red flag. That's a red <laughs> I like the way you say that. <laughs> that's a red flag. <laughs> Very good. Our guest today, Frank Allen and Chris Purcell, we're talking about deadly sins. And before we went to the break, we talked about suitable diversification and the reality of neglecting to rebalance. Frank, that's one of those sins that you had prepared for. So tell us what that means when you say neglecting to rebalance. Well, yeah, let me mention diversification first. When you have a diversified portfolio, you're basically picking a a certain uh, percentage of your overall portfolio to be assigned to a particular category of investment like U.S. large caps or like international or like oil and gas or real estate, et cetera. So once you have that strategy and that formula, unless there's a good reason to change it, then every year it comes around and you review performance and you review fees and you review uh, everything there is about the portfolio. Well, at that time, you want to rebalance. If you have, a, for instance, a portfolio that starts off with 60% stock and the stock market does tremendous, well, guess what? At that time, when you do your review, you might be at 65% stock. If you don't rebalance it, the next year it might be 70. The next year it might be 80. So then all of a sudden there's a severe market drop, and you you know you look at it and say, wow, what happened? I lost more than I should have. Yeah, it's because no longer... you didn't rebalance right. every year. So we firmly and strongly believe in rebalancing, and basically that forces you into a discipline of selling high and buying low because you're selling some of your winners. You're not selling them completely, but a few you know shares – and to bring that balance down for, let's say, U.S. large caps or what, whatever that category is, and then you buy something that hasn't done as well, and then you get your balance back, you get your portfolio back to what the what you started with. So if a person says, I'm conservative growth, what you were doing was stair-stepping that growth from the stock market, moving it up, and all of a sudden a person who says, my risk tolerance is conservative growth. Right. And then all of a sudden it goes, as as Frank was describing it, the market pushes it up, and now I'm an aggressive growth, or you know, now I'm not even thinking about you know my balance anymore. And Frank says you got to be disciplined, you got to go in there and sell high in some things, and then buy those things. You rebalance. You're getting your mix back to what you said your risk tolerance was. You really are. And here's something else we need to be aware of: discipline is hard. So what that means is I'm going to ask you to sell U.S. large cap stocks and to buy European stocks. That is hard. I'm going to ask you to sell what's done well and buy what's done bad. But that is the long-term way that a portfolio should be set up, and that's the long-term way that it works. And, again, that's talking about the the deadly sins of not doing that, and a person not doing that is creating that, that, that portfolio that gets out of balance. Right. And you want to be looking at long-term perspective, again, uh, as you make these changes. And if you have a category – 
that hasn't done well for a long period of time and you're perhaps entering into a dis- different stage of life and you choose to change your strategy, well, okay, uh, you know, change that strategy and generate income as opposed to focus on growth. And there are some categories that in retirement you may not want to own. And so you make that decision when you enter that stage of life, and you you stick to that strategy. Now, see, that's a great reason to adjust a portfolio. You've entered a different stage of life. Uh, Because of the headlines on CNBC is not a great reason to adjust your portfolio. (laughs) Well said. So I guess, Frank, what you're saying in in the final summary of what we've been talking about, the deadly sins of investing, is you're saying that if you've got a strategy, stick to your strategy. Or when you make a change, it's a conscious change because you have got a different focus and the strategy's changing because of your focus. That's right. And and your go, your strategy involves time horizon. You can't have a strategy without having a time horizon in mind. Absolutely. So That's it, the key determinant, I think, Jim, is how long you've got. You know, And like Frank said earlier, if you have two years, I cannot put you in the stock market. Mm. It's just too volatile. Good no. Point. And then as you're approaching a time period where you're going to need to withdraw money, you need to be looking at some of your money as only short-term money. Absolutely. And invest it or not invest it as such. But you're still probably one of the things that we're learning in, in our time is that people are living much, much longer than, than we used to, okay, and than our, our parents did. So uh, what we need to do is realize that some of our money is probably always going to be long term. If we're going to be, if we're 60 and we're going to live to 80 or 85, well, some of that money is always going to be long term. So you, you know, it used to be our parents would get, go, you know, 100% into bonds because they were only expected to live five years. Right. Well, we've right. got a whole different scenario. And while all of our money is not long term when we go in retirement, some is. And we, you know, we used to speak in terms of longevity risk. Well, no, it's just longevity. That's yeah. a fact of life That's now. A fact of life. Well, if you just tuned in, we have Frank Allen. He's been talking about deadly sins, CRISPR sales coming up, and why you need life insurance. And to remind every listener, if you would like to talk to one of these guys, just simply pick up the phone, 757-5757. Ask Judy to connect you with Frank or Chris, and they'll be glad to answer questions that you've got or, or talk about more about deadly sins, or as Chris talks in a few minutes, about insurance, 757-5757. We'll be glad to make sure that that can happen. But, you know, a while ago you mentioned that well, last week we were talking about women, talking about how to <laughs> Right. And, you know, I mean, I think that, I think from what she, you know, I mean, I think she really, Sharon, kind of told us, you and I have a lot of work to do. Uh, I've totally remodeled my house. <laughs> <laughs> she was giving us tips at, at our about how to make an environment that's more comfortable for yeah. women. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Let's keep it on where we need to stay focused here. Oh, my goodness. You just tuned in. Of course, I'm Jim Shoemaker along with uh, Keith Quinn. And we have as a guest today, uh, Chris Purcell. Chris, this is your first time to be on the program. One of our advisors in the office. And we want to say welcome, sir. Glad to have you on the program. Yeah, glad to be here. What does he have a good voice? He does have a good I radio mean, voice. Oh, that's great. Um, but Chris, one of the questions that I know you get in your practice today, and a lot of times when you're counseling you know, your clients, is do I really need life insurance? So let's walk through for our listening audience that says, okay, I am single or I am married, I got kids. Most of the time, everybody will say, I need some. So let's talk about why they need life insurance. So let's start with the first reason why you think they need life insurance. Sure. And like you said, everybody's case is going to be different. But the uh, most obvious reason to have life insurance is to pay for final expenses. Uh, At some point, we're all going to die, and it's going to be hard to pay for that funeral beyond the grave. Right. So we want to make sure that we're not leaving our loved ones with a bill. Funerals can, you know, cost anywhere up to $10,000, $20,000, and... Life insurance can help us take care of that. As a, when, uh, during my first job, when I was 23, 
I got my paycheck, looked at my pay stub, and saw I had life insurance. I didn't know why a 23-year-old single guy would even need life insurance. Mm -hmm. And the answer was because if I was bearish, I didn't want to leave my parents stuck with the bill. Right. That's a good point. That's a great point. So everyone at some point needs some form of life insurance. You know, and we were talking yesterday to a young young person. I mean, this person is 20, 23, like you're talking about, Chris, and uh, female. And, uh, you know, we got into the scenario of uh, needing for insurability because they, you know, I lost my insurability when I was 23 right. years old. I lost I had tuberculosis, and for basically 10 years, I could not buy life insurance. Now, part of that was not only just the tuberculosis, which was not a good you know, disease back that, in, in the end, but it was the medication that I was on. Right, Because right. they were concerned about what it would do to the liver. It would, might shorten my mortality and things like that. So having an insurance for insurability reasons is also very important for that young person. That's correct. You always want to go ahead and lock in when you're healthiest. Absolutely. Very good. Give us some other reasons why you might not lead might well, need life insurance. Well, you think about replacing your spouse's income. Um, myself, I'm married. My wife also works, and we've built a lifestyle around having both of our incomes work for us. Uh, if I was to die or she was to die, what happens to that life? Yeah. Uh, now, all of a sudden, I don't have her paycheck coming in, or she doesn't have my paycheck coming in, and it kind of sets our worlds in a tailspin. And so that definitely helps people deal with losing an income, having someone there to replace that. You think about other people that, that are married and they don't have uh, two incomes. You have some people that have a wife or husband stay at home as a homemaker. Mm-hmm. And if their husband or wife dies and that income's no longer there, what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to go back to work? How long has it been since they've been in the workforce? These are all things that you know can help tell you why you need life insurance. Well, you think about that, and the reality is, let's just say that you got a husband's working, and it could be the wife working, the husband's staying home, it doesn't make any difference, but the reality is one of the partners are staying at home, one of the spouses is staying at home, and all of a sudden you have the death of the spouse that's working, and you got small children, and then and say mom has to go back to work. Well, now the children have really gone through not only the death of their their dad, uh, but they've lost their mom, too. Now, all of a sudden, she's back at work and all the pressures and stuff of that. That's a lot different. That's a lot more difficult than most people realize. It's tough to handle. It's yeah. definitely tough to handle. And having that money there, allowing mom to stay back at home or allowing her to not go back to work full time definitely helps with the kids and, and their life moving forward. That's a good point. What about debt? I mean, people end up with some kind of debt and they need to be able to pay that off. Is that important when it comes to trying to do a plan for a young couple of talking to them about their debt and whether they had a mortgage or something? And is that a need? for That's, a, that's a huge need. Um, you think about it, people have credit cards today. People have mortgages on house. They have car notes. All these School different School loans. Exactly. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when you don't have that money coming back in, whether you're replacing someone's income, it's hard to pay all those things off. If you plan properly and get the right amount of insurance, when you die, your spouse can be taken care of. Mm. You know, all of a sudden, the car notes are paid off. The mortgage is paid off. And again, it, it lessens that pressure of whoever's left over having to, to deal with not only your death, but also, also the things that come with it. Like those bills. So when you're talking about this from a, from a couple standpoint, Keith, I guess what we're trying to figure out is you got a need for you know replacing income, you got to pay off financial you know the final expenses, right. and, and 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 I just had a person that uh, I, we're actually working with this person, they their mom passed away, no life insurance, and they are not able to have the funeral yet. 
and uh, the, our church is, is working right. through that. So you, you have those cases like that. So you got you got needing an income, you got final expenses, paying off debt. What are some, you know, I mean, I guess, Chris, you're saying, okay, all of that's personal. You're talking about insurability, making sure you cover the insurability. What about the business owner? Do yeah, they? because I think all that stuff that you just talked about is things that people might think of that life insurance could do. But I think some of these other things that Chris is going to talk about are things that you wouldn't necessarily exactly, think of life insurance exactly. as being so able to do. Help us with that, Chris. Some other reasons. Give us go to the business person. Well, let's say you and I own a construction company together, and we've been doing this for 15 years now. And then all of a sudden, I die. And it's the company split equally. I'm glad that he died. Yeah, right. That was, that's that's, that's <laughs> the way to say that I hypothetical. That. that was good. That's good. So I die. And what happens to my shares of the company? Yeah, They're going to go to my family, who knows nothing about construction. All of a sudden, they have equal say in what happens to the company. Is that They're something? They're now my partners. They're right? your partners. Exactly. Is that something that you're ready to deal with, having well, my wife tell you <laughs> what to do with our company? Well, be careful. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, right. Let's be careful with that, too. Because, I mean, she could meet us outside. Uh, here, here's the thought, though. I mean, so if that happens, can I not buy out your wife and your family? Can I not do that? I mean, just certainly. If if you if that's the way we have it set up, and also if you have the money available to do that. So negotiating then, if I've got life insurance on you, I can negotiate, and I have the dollars to pay it. Exactly. So when I'm when I'm gone, all of a sudden you have insurance on me, and you can turn around and pay my family and say, Hey, we love you. But we just don't want you in the business. Here's what you. Here's what it's worth, and, mm. and we can move on from there. That's I mean, that's again powerful, and you wouldn't necessarily think of that as something that you could accomplish with insurance. And then one other reason that I think people forget about life insurance and some of the things that they do is the idea behind using the cash that's built up in there as a retirement plan. So, what tell us about that? I mean, that's, sure, all these things that we've been talking about thus far are reasons why you should have insurance after you're gone. Hmm. Uh, kind of a selfish reason, so, so to so speak. So the other side, I mean, the, they're, they're taking care of the people. Yeah, so can benefit. it do something for you while you're really? still here? Yeah. So it can. We can go ahead and have life insurance and overfund that policy to help us accumulate wealth and use it for retirement, taking a taking a loan later on on that policy. All right, so taking a loan, having the ability to build cash. Frank, what about some other thoughts in your mind? Well, one thing that comes to mind to me is uh, is you're serving people who have younger kids and, you know, they ask, OK, I want my kids to go to college. And so you say, OK, that's great. And you give them the, you know, the answer in terms of how much they have to save each month <clears throat> to go to the college that they want to. Well, that's normally a huge number. The college is not cheap no, these not. days. Right. So in my mind, uh, have, building in what your college plan is into your insurance plan is critical that you want to you want to make sure you have enough money if you were to die because you can't fund the college savings plan. You know, I heard it said years ago, and I think you hit it very much. Both of you talked about this. The 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 young person, the ten year old, the twelve year old, if something happens to dad or mom, and you know, the question becomes at age seventeen or eighteen, you know, can I go to college? Right. That's a tough question. That's a tough question. The other question can be, where am I going to college? Right. I'd much rather the latter question be the one they're asking instead right. of, right. can I go to college? Right. I mean, everybody's entitled to that. And everybody's entitled to that. Do. Yeah, North Carolina's expensive. <laughs> I knew he would get that in there. I knew we'd just set that up. We've been talking with uh, Frank Allen and Chris Purcell about life insurance and deadly sins. And I, Keith, I guess this whole idea behind, uh, you know, some of the 
the predictions. And I, I, this is one I said, you know, that I think is pretty good. I'm going to talk about this first one, and, right. you know, we'll go back and forth. But uh, Forbes magazine wrote in 5-1, May the 1st of 2013, they said, and I think that's good, that over, here it is, the quote, over the coming few years, look for oil prices to decline at least below $80 a barrel and quite possibly more. The price of oil was $91 a barrel in, in May of 2013. And that was a pretty bold prediction. That was a huge prediction. And nobody would have agreed with that. But right. as we know, last Friday, oil closed at $48.20. So that's a prediction that's correct that was so correct. far. Uh, but even that, they didn't anticipate the magnitude of the no, drop. they really didn't. So some other ones. Uh, what you've got for number the second one here? Well, we had another one, another analyst uh, in uh, July of 2010 talking about the Dow Jones Industrial Average and what Robert? would happen to this. Robert, yeah, that's right, Robert Spector. Uh, and saying that the Dow would fall below 1,000 within six years. Now, this was in 2010 after we'd gone through 2008. We'd rebounded in 2009. Things were looking a little bit better, but his prediction was that the Dow would fall below 1,000. And, of course, we closed last Friday at 17,700. Give him credit. He's got two more years. <laughs> That's right. Anything is possible, Anything I suppose. Anything is possible. Yeah. Over the next day. Well, the next one, the April 2014 issue of Kiplinger's predicted that the average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage and what's something that applies to everybody. That applies four, to everyone. 4.29 as of 4.30-2014 would be, would rise to 5 or 5.5%. Five That's Kiplinger's. Everybody reads Kiplinger's. The actual year-end rate, 3.87. 3.87. Missed one. Yeah, missed that one a little bit. Yeah. No cost. No cost. Now, this was actually a good one. You know, this is uh, the government is notorious for getting these projections wrong. The Fed, we look at the Fed projections a lot, and they are not really good at this. But the CBO, uh, Congressional Budget Office, had projected that the taxpayer cost of the bailout from August 2008 would be $356 billion. That's a pretty substantial cost. B with a billion. $356 billion. billion. Yeah. Not only did it not cost us anything, we actually made money. So the program actually made $15 billion rather than losing three. Three hundred and fifty-six. You know, they were a little bit off, just a tad off. So again, another prediction: half a billion dollars or so. You know, <laughs> no big deal. Just, <laughs> right, just a couple of zeros. <laughs> I want to let you do this last one. Great prediction, but you you tell us how it turned out. Well, this was one of my uh, favorite congressional <laughs> leaders, uh, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, had said, "I think it's even money that the Democrats will win control of the House in November 2014 midterm elections." Uh, of course, going into the elections, the Republicans controlled the House two thirty-one. Uh, excuse me, 234 to 201, and after the elections, they maintained control and increased that margin to 247 to 188, historic levels that we haven't seen since uh, uh, right after World War yeah, II, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, they're talking about she did that, that did that prediction in October of 2013. She did, and boy, was she wrong, and boy, am I glad. <laughs> well, I got one other prediction, and of course, you know, this is the underdogs. They say we've got a guy, this uh, Peter King, he's a predicted that he's a sports writer. He says the Packers will beat the Colts by a touchdown, and that's next month's Super Bowl. Hey, I wouldn't have thought they would have made it this far. I wouldn't either. So, you know, that's an interesting that's one. If that one played out, that yeah. would have been, you know, he did a good job calling that. Fortunately, I don't make investments based on <laughs> whether the Packers <laughs> or the Colts win. No, I mean, that's good because we would not be good at that. No, but we've got a great program. Frank 
thank you so much, Guy. You did a great job today talking about deadly sins that investors make. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you did a great job. As always, a good guest. You know, he, he was just, a great guest, and always, Chris was a great guest. And it, talking about life insurance. First time he's been on the program. Talked about life insurance. Why we need life insurance. Thank you, Chris, for being a part of the program today. Thanks a lot. I had fun. Thank you for joining us. I want to thank our guests, Frank Allen and Chris Purcell. Thank our program director, Art Frederick. Our guest coordinator, Francis Fortner. Eleanor Moskovitz and Katie Brashear. Our production assistants, Drew Johnson, who writes our Mid-South History Moments, and Rebecca Brazier, who does such a phenomenal job reading them. I'm Keith Quinn. And I'm Jim Shoemaker. Please join us next week when we'll help you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.